Welcome everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Rebecca Gilbert, and I am APDA's Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer. I'm pleased to welcome you to this web teleconference education program designed for people with Parkinson's disease, care partners, family members, and healthcare providers. I would like to thank the Simone Charitable Foundation for funding this important program and acknowledge their appreciation for the critical need to provide educational programs like this one to people impacted by Parkinson's disease. During this time of uncertainty, we know that you may still have concerns regarding your Parkinson's treatments and identifying ways to continue to live your best life with Parkinson's disease. American Parkinson Disease Association, or APDA for short, is the largest grassroots network dedicated to fighting Parkinson's disease and works tirelessly to assist the approximately 1 million Americans with Parkinson's disease. APDA distinguishes itself as a national organization working one-on-one -on -one with the Parkinson's community to make each day better. After the presentation today, we'll open up the program for questions from both telephone and web participants. At any time during the program, you can submit your question using the question and answer tab in the lower left-hand window on your screen. We encourage everyone on the line to complete the evaluation after the program because your feedback is instrumental in helping us plan for future educational offerings, including teleconferences like this and other programs. You may view the materials for this program and today's slide by clicking on the handout tab in the left lower corner of your screen next to the question and answer tab. And now to our program. I would like to welcome Annette Kluge, Associate Director Outreach at Banner Neuro Wellness in Gilbert, Arizona, and Joanne Rollis, Licensed Master Social Worker, Patient Nav Navigation and Outreach at the Barrow Neurologic Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. They're joining me today to share the latest information on accessing the treatments you need for Parkinson's disease. I'll begin by presenting the basic facts of Parkinson's disease and, and an overview of the medical treatments available. Here are my financial disclosures. And now let me begin. Parkinson's disease, as most people who are listening likely know, is a very complex neurologic disorder and involves a combination of both symptoms that affect the movement of people as well as many symptoms that affect other parts of function. So let's start by discussing the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. There are four key features of Parkinson's disease. The first is tremor which is a shaking movement that typically involves the arms, sometimes the legs, and it typically happens at rest when your hands are in your lap or dangling at your side as you walk. The next key feature of Parkinson's is rigidity or stiffness of the limbs usually. And then there's also slowness or what we call medically as bradykinesia. And finally, there are typically problems with balance and an inability to right yourself if you're thrown off balance. In addition to these four, what we call the cardinal features of Parkinson's, there's some other features that are very classic of Parkinson's disease. And those include a soft voice, a masked face, which means a face that doesn't show a lot of expression, small handwriting, difficulty with fine motor tasks, and stooped posture. 
But in addition to these motor symptoms, those symptoms that involve movement, there are many symptoms that do not involve movement that involve other aspects of function. We often compare the motor and the non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease to the part of the iceberg that's above the water and the part of the iceberg that's beneath the water. The motor symptoms are the symptoms that people can see. People can see your tremor, people can see your slow, people can see that you don't have expression on your face. And those would correlate to the, the part of the iceberg that can be seen. But beneath the water, there might be a huge chunk of the iceberg that can't be seen, but can be very problematic in and of itself. And those would be the non-motor symptoms. We typically classify these non-motor symptoms into three big categories. The neuropsychiatric category, these are the conditions that might affect your mood, your, your cognition or thinking abilities, sleep, your motivation or apathy. The second big category are the autonomic symptoms. And these are symptoms that affect body processes that we don't typically control consciously, like blood pressure control, gut function, uh, urination function, and sexual function. And the third category are sensory symptoms. And this can be symptoms that involve vision, symptoms that involve pain sensation, um, or, or, or symptoms that involve smell. Before we talk about anything else, I want to really put up in front, up and center to this talk, the importance of exercise in the life of somebody with Parkinson's disease. There has been much study of exercise in Parkinson's disease, and we have lots of data that shows that exercise can help a person manage motor and non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease and improve quality of life. We know that being sedentary, being deconditioned, not being in a fit body can increase the stiffness, can increase the stooped posture, and can lead, can lead to even more poor endurance. And all this together can make Parkinson's disease harder to live with. And so focusing on exercise and moving is so vital for somebody with Parkinson's disease. Now, where to begin if you are somebody who uh, needs to exercise? Well, let's start with the CDC, the Center for Disease Control recommendations of 150 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise per week. That's what's recommended for all older adults, including those with Parkinson's disease. And this may need to be modified as you discuss with your doctor what might be a good regimen for you. But when you come up with a regimen of exercise, you wanna think about the four key features of exercise. And those include aerobic activity, that's the type of activity that gets your heart rate going, strengthening activities, and that may involve weights, stretching activities um, uh, as well. And then finally, balance, which is hugely important for somebody with Parkinson's disease. Another thing that is within our control besides exercise and moving is diet. And dietary considerations for Parkinson's disease is extremely important as well. There has been a lot of study on the effects of the Mediterranean diet on somebody with Parkinson's disease. And this is a diet that's rich in vegetables, rich in fruits and whole grains, rich in legumes such as beans, peas, and lentils, nuts, as well as low-fat proteins such as fish and poultry. In addition, the fat source in a Mediterranean diet is primarily olive oil. 
There are some dietary considerations uh, that one also needs to think about in terms of Parkinson's disease. And one is that dietary protein can compete with levodopa, which is one of the key medications for Parkinson's disease, to cross the small intestinal wall. And that might make medication dosing um, less effective if uh, dietary protein is, is in the way. And so that's something to consider and discuss with your doctor. And finally, there's some other key symptoms of Parkinson's disease, such as low blood pressure or weight loss or constipation that can be helped with the proper diet. And so diet is another way that we can help ourselves in our Parkinson's disease treatment. And now let's go to the three key aspects of Parkinson's disease treatment. The first, medications the second, therapies, and the third, deep brain stimulation. And we'll discuss each of these in turn. Now, some principles as it relates to Parkinson's disease medication. The Parkinson's disease medications that are available are available to relieve or decrease Parkinson's disease symptoms, and the, the, the specifically the motor symptoms that we talked about earlier in this talk. Unfortunately, there are no medications yet available that protect the neurons in Parkinson's disease from degenerating. And so we really are focused on the medications to help relieve symptoms. There's a lot of research that is focused on medications that can protect neurons from degenerating, and that hopefully is the future of Parkinson's disease. So the goal of a medication is to get the right dose while tolerating the medication as best as possible to improve and to maximize quality of life. And this may require ongoing adjustments of the medication to get the medication and the treatments to be as effective as possible. The responses to medication can vary from person to person, and therefore combinations of medications may be necessary for the optimal result. The next few slides demonstrate all the medications that are available for treatment of the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And I'm not gonna go through each one, there are just too many to, to mention. Uh, I just wanna give a, a sense of how many there are. And so there are a lot of different options that you can try with your doctor if there are problems with the medications you're on now. Some brief points about the medications. The first category of medication here, dopamine precursors, are all medications that contain levodopa. Levodopa is the precursor to a brain chemical called dopamine, which is low or lost in, in somebody who has Parkinson's disease. So the goal of many of these medications is to increase the dopamine in the brain. And one of the key ways to do this is to ingest levodopa by mouth, typically, although there are other ways of getting levodopa into the system. And then the levodopa gets uh, transferred into the blood through the, the gut wall. And then from the blood, can actually enter the brain crossing the blood-brain barrier. Once it's in the brain, levodopa can be converted into dopamine. And so introducing levodopa into the, into the system, into the body, is one of the key ways of treating Parkinson's disease and remains the most effective way of treating Parkinson's disease today. Carbidopa levodopa comes in many different varieties. It comes in the immediate release, which brand name is Cinemet. It comes in an extended release form, one that's generic and another one called Ritari. It comes in an orally disintegrating form. It comes in an intestinal gel, and it even comes in an inhalation powder. There are other medications that are available that enhance the effects of levodopa by, for example, decreasing its breakdown 
or by mimicking dopamine in the, in the brain. And so all of these medications enhance the dopamine system in different ways. There's one medication that's available called estradefalin or Norians. This is a medication that works on a different chemical in the brain, works on a chemical called adenosine, and it is uh, unique in that it does not interfere or involve the dopamine system. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease, but there are also non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And the non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease need a lot of attention and treatment as well. They sometimes and often are more problematic than the motor symptoms, especially as Parkinson's disease advances. There are three medications available that are specifically indicated for Parkinson's disease. So for example, pimavanserin is specifically indicated for psychosis that may develop in the, in the setting of Parkinson's disease. However, there are other strategies for dealing with non-motor symptoms, and there are other strategies for dealing with non-motor symptoms that are not on this list. For example, for depression, for sleep disorders, there are many ways to address these symptoms without going to a medicine that has been specifically indicated for Parkinson's disease. So the, the major point of this slide is to, is to discuss with your doctor any non-motor symptoms that you may have. And there may be a Parkinson's disease specific treatment that's specifically indicated for Parkinson's, but there may be other medications that your doctor suggests as well that may be very helpful to you. So discuss all the non-motor symptoms so that you can get the treatment that may be appropriate for you. Some other key important uh, things to, to know about the medication. And that is for many people, it is important to take the medication on time as prescribed. Some people do not need the medication to be so carefully timed, but many people do. And so if your doctor says to take it on a specific schedule, try to keep to that schedule as much as possible because missing a dose can greatly affect symptoms, especially later in the disease. So Parkinson's, people with Parkinson's may be advised to keep a diary to help follow symptoms, side effects, drug effectiveness, and possible food interactions. And that may help advise your healthcare professionals in when you should be taking your medication during the day. At this point, I wanna point out that APDA has a free symptom tracker mobile app, which is available on the App Store or Google Play. And this you can use on your phone or on your iPad to help track your symptoms during the day and can give you a, a sense of how you're doing in your conversations when you have your conversations with your doctor. Let's now go to rehabilitative therapies as the second arm of treatments that are available for Parkinson's disease. So it's very important to know that these therapies are available and can be accessed and very helpful to, helpful to people with Parkinson's disease. First, there's physical therapy, and that is a therapy that helps improve balance, can help walking, can help build up strength, and can be really important uh, in Parkinson's disease treatment. The second is speech therapy, and this can be very important for speech problems. I mentioned earlier that a soft voice can be problematic for people with Parkinson's, as well as other speech difficulties. And then swallowing difficulties can develop as Parkinson's advances, and this too can be treated and addressed with speech therapy. Third is occupational therapy, and this focuses on improving fine motor skills and cultivating independence and independent living. I'm often asked, when is a good time to start these therapies? And really, the answer is as soon as you can, because there may be subtle changes in your, in your walking, in your fine motor skills, in your ability to do 
your daily functioning in your speech that you may not may not have noticed but can be corrected and starting early is always good practice to get a handle on these subtle changes We'll now discuss the third arm of treatment, which is deep brain stimulation. And this is a neurosurgical procedure in which electrodes or wires are placed deep within the brain and it delivers electrical impulses to deep brain structures in order to improve Parkinson's symptoms. The electrodes are then connected by a wire under tunneled under the skin and connected to what's called an implantable pulse generator or IPG in the chest. And this IPG can be programmed to deliver specific types of electricity to the brain. And it can be programmed using a, a remote device, a programmer. Now, this type of treatment is well studied. It's been done on hundreds of thousands of patients across the world for many decades. It's not a, um, a research protocol in any way, but it is not a uh, procedure that is uh, appropriate for every patient with Parkinson's disease. It is uh, most appropriate for patients who find that their medications do not give long-lasting effect, and they have a lot of cycling during the day of medications working and not working and working again, what we call on and off time. And when, you, when you're in that type of situation where the medications do not give a nice, robust, long uh, response, that's when deep brain, brain stimulation should be considered, and that's definitely something to bring up with your care team. So let's talk a little bit about what a healthcare team means. Um, what's important in Parkinson's disease is how, accessing the treatments that we, we discussed. We have medications, we have therapies, we have uh, surgery, potential surgeries, but how do you know what to, what to get when? And that's because you surround yourself with a good healthcare team that gives you advice on, on these various questions as they come up. So first we have the movement disorder specialist or the neurologist who knows about Parkinson's disease to help with diagnosis and medical management. On the next, however, we have our rehabilitation team, our physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapists. We can't forget about our general health care providers who can help with managing some of the non-motor symptoms that may uh, uh, be more in their wheelhouse than in the neurologist's wheelhouse. Maybe uh, a urologist can help with urinary symptoms, a, a gastroenterologist may be able to help with, with gut symptoms. We want to involve those people as well. We have our wellness professionals who can help with uh, ancillary movement type techniques that can help a person live their best life. And of course, there's psychosocial support where psychiatrists, social workers, and psychologists can help with mental health issues. And finally, we have community, support, family, and American Parkinson's Disease Association as your support team to help you get the best treatments available. Here is a slide that gives you some information about American Parkinson's Disease Association. And uh, we, we have a toll-free helpline, 1-800-223-2732. We have a very robust website, and we are available on all social media outlets. So find us, and we can help connect you with programs and services in your area. On that note, I would like to pass the baton to Annette Kluge for her talk to continue our discussion on accessing the, the best treatments for Parkinson's disease. Annette, it's all yours. Thank you. So today um, I get to talk to you about habilitation for individuals with Parkinson's disease. 
So first of all, what is habilitation and why does Banner Neuro Wellness believe is the solution to manage PD through the continuum? Let's start with the definition of habilitation. Habilitation refers to a process aimed at helping individuals with disabilities obtain, keep, or improve skills and function for daily living. And of course, isn't that the, the goal? So, um, uh oh, I just, I'm sorry, I just lost you guys for a second. Okay, I'm back. Um, so, what we did was we attempted to look at what care is happening clinically and what families and individuals need. So let's talk about that. First, the challenge of the current medical system in the treatment of Parkinson's disease. Not all people with Parkinson's disease uh, have a movement disorder neurologist in their community, or they don't understand the benefit of having a movement disorder neurologist. Also, there's limitations if somebody doesn't drive, um, or if the clinic is far away. Secondly, therapy services are for a prescribed issue and for, are limited in duration. So when the goal of the therapy is achieved or the duration is over, ther therapy services end. Also, what about mental issues? Not all practitioners are equipped to provide for social, emotional, and isolating effects of having a neurodegenerative disease. So what does the family and the person with Parkinson's need? First, disease management. Individuals and families need to feel comfortable in managing the disease, not only the physical limitations that may occur, but also, disease, also medication management. Ongoing disease-specific exercise and wellness programs need to be available to help individuals maintain skills that they obtain during formal therapy. Families and individuals with Parkinson's need a peer group that understands the challenges of Parkinson's disease. Resources for managing social and emotional issues must be readily available. And accommodations must be provided to help people stay safe from falls and free from hospitalizations in their home. So Banner Neuro Wellness endeavors to bridge the gap in care through a community model for habilitative services. What can we do on a daily basis to provide for these needs and uh, fill these gaps in care? Here's our team. Um, I'm lucky enough to speak with you today. We also have therapists as part of our team. We have a physical therapist, a speech pathologist, a music therapist, we have a social worker, we have our team of exercise physiologists, we have community providers who help us with educational sessions, we have a planning committee for social events, and we have retreat services, which is actually non-medical respite care. So how do we fill the gap between neurologist visits? Well, we consider it um, that we need to have education to fill those gaps. First, we have an early intervention six-week 
program for people newly diagnosed with Parkinson's. And in each of those weeks, we discuss a different aspect of the disease and how uh, to manage it. We also have local experts speak um, and in speaking engagements, we have copy talk support groups, and then we have peer discussion during um, our support groups so that people can share and you know that you are the expert in your disease process. So um, that sharing is extremely valuable. What is the solution for limited therapeutic care? Our exercise phys physiologists at Banner Neural Wellness offer a variety of classes to address symptoms of PD. Group exercise improves endurance, cardiovascular fitness, muscle strength, gait and balance. Boxing addresses bradykinesia, proprioception, and kinesthetic awareness. Yoga addresses rigidity and balance. Dance addresses gait, balance, and the use of weight shifting to combat freezing. Our speech pathologist has a speaking group to address voice, uh, pro voice projection, articulation, and swallowing issues. Our, our neuromusic therapist addresses memory, recall, voice, and the use of, use of rhythm to stimulate ease of movement. And of course, we encourage our members to try all of these classes, see what they like, so that they're diligent in their um, exercise and wellness programs. How do we address social and emotional concerns? Support groups provide friend, friendship, camaraderie, companionship through shared experience and practical solutions to common problems. Counseling at Banner Neural Wellness addresses depression, anxiety, grief, interpersonal communication, isolation, and caregiver burnout. Social work services help to navigate disability benefits, transportation needs, long-term care planning, and resources and referrals. And social events at Banner Neural Wellness allows people to get together in a safe and loving environment and uh, share and be a part of a community. And of course, we want to provide services through our members continuum. Our modified class, class structure allows individuals to continue regardless of ability or fall risk. The Banner Neural Wellness Physical Therapist provides instruction on, on proper body mechanics to not only our members, but to their care partners. Um, she provides skilled intervention, adaptive equipment, and home safety evaluations to decrease falls and injury. Our care partners groups help re relieve stress and offer peer support. In-home respite care uh, provides support to both our member and the care partner, so the care partner can get out and do some care for their own personal needs. And having the proper support and skills allows the individuals to stay home with their loved one through the continuum. So let's talk about the, some of the successful outcomes of Banner Neural Wellness. Individuals and families have a better understanding and, and feel more equipped to manage their PD. 
Through frequent and ongoing interactions at Banner Neural Wellness, the team is able to identify um, any exacerbation of symptoms and advocate for prompt intervention. Individuals and families um, are able, individuals are able to maintain function and slow the symptoms. Through education and support, people feel that they can um, have self-empowerment and can advocate for each other. Through surveys like the PDQ 39, we have found that through our interactions at Banner Neural Wellness, they have a higher quality of life. Peer support is readily available. Through our interventions, we have fewer falls. And through uh, support groups and resources and respite care, we have a decrease in caregiver burnout. And if you Googled Banner Neuro Wellness, you would find um, these are some of our testimonials. And I invite you all to take a look and also to look for habilitation services in your area and advocate for habilitative services. And now I'd like to turn it over to Joanne. Hi there, good um, good morning to those who are in Arizona and good afternoon to those who are listening in from the East Coast. Um, <clears throat> I am Joanne Morales, the uh, social worker and educator here at the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center with Barrow Neurological Institute. Um, and I am pleased to be a part of this presentation by put on by the APGA. Um, I have no financial disclosures. Um, I wanted to also share with you all, um, many of my patients ask me, well, what is it that a social worker does, particularly in my role? And my response is it's a much shorter list to tell you what I don't do, because <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's true. Um, as a social worker, wear very many different hats. Um, on the uh, presentation slide, you will see that um, caring for your loved ones, there are many resources and benefits available. Um, these are some of the specialty organizations. Um, ours, of course, is listed here. Please feel free to reach out to us to learn more about our support groups, our educational programs, and exercise programs that are currently being held virtual. Um, I certainly encourage you to um, look into support groups. I'm always talking to my patients and their families about making sure that they have a um, like a good support network, whether that's you know per, you know in, interpersonally with their friends and families, or you know seeking support groups out there. And, and those are some of what we provide. Um, I myself run a couple of different support groups. And so it's very beneficial and helpful to be involved with a group of individuals who are experiencing the same kind of um, experiences that you might also be running into. Um, and, and in choosing one, I encourage you to attend at least three times to give them a chance because, I mean, each each time you attend, there's something different going on and not, none of the, each of the groups are the same. Um, so, so definitely finding one that would suit you best. Um, also, I just want to thank all of the care partners that are in attendance today. Thank you for doing what you do. I know that it, it can be 
a, a tough job. Um, and, and some of you may not view it as a job, but I mean, it's definitely something that can wear on, on somebody. And so, so I just want you to know that I appreciate what you're doing. Um, so another one of the services that I talk about a lot is Medicare. Um, as you can see, you'll, you'll see who are eligible as well as the services that are covered. Um, you know, non-medical care is definitely one that is um, often asked about so that, that it would include custodial care. You know, can my insurance pay for somebody to come in and help me take care of my husband, take care of my wife? take care of my loved one. Um, and unfortunately, that is not a benefit covered by Medicare. Um, while it's been mentioned, there's nothing um, out there just yet. Now, what I have found recently is that some of my patients, they are able to receive those that are eligible for home health services, for example, if they're receiving home health, physical, occupational, and or speech therapy, <clears throat> you can also include a CNA who could provide um, additional care such as assisting with showering and bathing. Um, so that is an option available through and, and can be billed through Medicare. Um, and also just as a PSA, open enrollment is currently happening. It started on October 15th and will end December 7th. It's definitely a good idea to review your Medicare um, selections and, you know, going back and seeing is the, you know, is the one that I selected a good option for me or should I choose a new one? that will cover my medications um, at a lower cost um, or, or even maybe some of the co-pays may have changed. And so, um, you know, it's important to review that annually, of course. Um, Social Security, that's a big one that I have questions on. Um, a lot of what I talk to my patients and their families about is um, either they're coming up on retirement or you know maybe they have a, an extended period of time left before they're even ready to retire. What does that look like? Um, you know, Social Security uh, offers a couple of different options. Um, many people are familiar with the Social Security retirement, which is of course something you've paid into throughout your working years and you're eligible for upon retirement age. Um, determining what that age is, you know, can always go to Social Security's website and and figure out what that age what what age that is going to be, um, as well as uh, Social Security disability. Now that's something that one would apply for, and somebody who is diagnosed with Parkinson's is eligible to receive Social Security disability. Um, so applying for that and providing. Um, the information necessary that Social Security asks for to um, receive that benefit so that you can take take advantage of it. Um, and then SSI, which would be supplemental security income, they, uh, that's just coming from a different pot of money. It is also the same as Social Security disability. The only difference is, is that um, individuals who receive SSI have not paid into the benefit amount and enough um, quarters of the year. So you have to have up to, um, I believe it's 40. So that is 10 years of work 
um, that you have paid into Social Security to be eligible for Social Security disability. Otherwise, it would um, default on supplemental security income, which is a lower amount that, that, that the benefit per pays out. Um, let me see here. Um, another thing to consider, in addition to also looking at come retirement time, um, is also thinking about your insurance, um, making sure that, you know, this is something I talk to my patients and families all the time about, is that making sure that you are, um, you know, covered insurance-wise, whether that be that you're, you're leaving an employer, are they going to provide continuous insurance through your short rolling into a long-term uh, disability plan through your employer, is that an option? Or um, is COBRA, you know, spending extra money to maintain the, the same uh, insurance plan um, as you were on, is that an option for you? Or um, will you have to buy um, insurance through the marketplace? Lastly, uh, Medicare is provided to somebody on Social Security Disability after they've been on it for two years, as, as I indicated on the slide here. Uh, In-home versus out-of-home care. That's another um, resource that I review a lot with my patients and their families. I mean, there's certainly a lot to consider. What I have placed on the slide here are benefits um, and options available to the state of Arizona. Altex is the Arizona long-term care system through um, Medicaid through the state of Arizona. And so it is a state-funded program financially. It must qualify financially. Um, you know, there are, um, I'm going to, on my next slide, I do have additional resources that will review that. Um, hours in the home. So the all text, while it's not just for out of home placement, people can also utilize it to pay for caregivers in the home. However, the number of hours allotted to somebody um, receiving care in the home are decided based off of the case manager who is assigned to that patient. They determine how many hours they can receive. So say, for example, they, they come in, they do an assessment and they say, oh, well, this person can receive 20 hours. So that 20 hours is divvied up between that, you know, one week of time. And so that, that is what's paid for out of the Alltech system. Um, thus, on the other end, <clears throat> somebody is in need of 24 hours care. They will not provide that much care in the home, but rather recommend moving into a placement facility. Um, same instance, private duty is out-of-pocket pay. You pay for um, a caregiver to come in the home. Um, placement agents can assist with finding an assisted living facility, group home, independent, um, and they uh, there's no cost for that service. However, they do make their money out of part of the first month's rent, if you will, uh, the income that's paid to wherever the, the, the patient is placed at. Um, those are all various levels of care. I strongly encourage you when I tell my patients and their families, please go to those, those facilities multiple times, not just during the designated tour time. Show up at different times during the day if you're able to, to take a look and see, you know, what kind of care is being provided there. Because, um, I mean, you, you are moving your loved one into a facility where they will live and somebody will be assisting to take care of them. So I, I highly encourage that. Um, 
the veterans pension plan is another benefit for individuals who are veterans. Please um, talk to, um, if you have a good contact at the VA, um, I'm, I'm more than helpful, more, excuse me, more than happy to review that in further detail. Sadly, it's not something that the VA advertises a lot and they don't um, talk about that too much. However, knowing that it is a benefit is beneficial for sure. Um, these are the resources that I referred to, you know, in addition to the other resources that I talk to patients about, another one is advanced directives. Um, you can obtain advanced directive forms at the Arizona Attorney General's website. I recently learned that through um, a bill called SB 1352, the state of Arizona is moving to an online platform um, where uh, you used to be able to submit your um advanced directive to the Arizona Secretary of State's website, now is moving to a platform called Health Current. Um, last time I looked, that registry is not live yet, but it will be. It requires a password and then submission of advanced directive. So God forbid that something happens and then one is in the hospital, um, the physician can access, because you're not going to be carrying around your advanced directives with you, um, they can access and see who who would be the medical proxy to serve on one's behalf who is in the hospital. Um, let me see here. I, I encourage you to look at the Pima Council on Aging to review the Arizona Long-Term Care System. It is a great um, option for um, being able to view information and they go over an overview of that uh, very well. Um, and so that is, that was it. That was the end of my presentation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Annette and Joanne for your very detailed and informative presentations today. So now we are going to turn to our Q&A session. Um, so before the operator gives um, instructions to cue yourselves to questions, I'd like to remind all of you that we have hundreds of people on the web and on the phone. So for everyone's benefit, please keep your questions general in nature and we will provide an answer that is general in nature. For our telephone participants, your telephone line will be muted after you ask your question. So operator, can you please give instructions to our telephone and web participants so they can cue themselves to ask a question? Thank you. For telephone participants who would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press pound if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For those participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. For web participants, please input your questions into the question and answer tab at in the lower left-hand window on your screen to ask a question. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Thank you. All right, um, I think we're gonna get started. Um, we'll take our first question from the web audience. This is a great question from Wayne. Um, a lot of the, and this is probably a question for Annette, uh, many of the activities and support groups that you uh, talked about are done in groups or in a community, and that is, that is proper. Um, however, do you ever find it appropriate for Parkinson's patients to develop relationships through one-on-one -on -one contact visits in their home, something on the smaller side? 
Absolutely, we do that. Um, it's a hard to get a, a full picture of what somebody is um, doing without seeing their home environment. Um, so, you know, we can't assess fall risk. Uh, we can teach people how to sit in a chair and how to navigate a hallway. But unless we know what you're dealing with in your home, um, we don't have the full picture. So we do have both our physical therapist and our social worker that will do home assessments and home counseling um, if needed to get a better idea of what somebody's dealing with on a more personal level. Okay, fantastic. Um, so here's a, a question for Joanne. Um, a lot of the programs that Annette was talking about um, seem uh, like they may cost money. Are there insurance resources to pay for um, exercise classes and sort of ancillary services that uh, may be very helpful to people with Parkinson's? Um, you know, Rebecca, that I get that question asked a lot. Um, I don't, I, I don't believe that are, that I'm not familiar with any that are out there for exercise. However, um, having insurance to pay for the, um, the physical occupational therapy at, at, at least at a minimum, that's an option. Um, you know, just to put it out there, our, our center, we provide exercise classes remotely um, through virtual access and um, our fee is $30 a month. Um, so just, I mean, I know that just kind of shopping around might be helpful to find something that, that is of um, better cost nature. Okay, great. Um, there are a bunch of uh, medical questions. I'll take one from Cynthia and she asks, are there different types of DBS? Um, and so the answer is that uh, in Parkinson's disease, there are typically two main targets for Parkinson's disease symptoms, uh, the subthalamic nucleus or a part of the brain, the GPI. And uh, that would be a discussion with the neurosurgeon, which target is appropriate for you. There are also three different manufacturers of deep brain stimulation equipment. It used to be there was one manufacturer, now there are three. And they each have pros and cons. They each have uh, subtle advantages um, and some, some have disadvantages. So you really want to discuss those different options with the neurosurgeon. So there really are different types, um, and they all they all pretty much have the same focus and the same goal, and mostly they lead to the to the same result. But there are some subtle differences that you want to um, talk with your neurosurgeon about. Um, okay, so the next question um, uh, would be a question for Annette. Um, I went to a support group, um, but I did not find that the people in the support group had similar symptoms to me. Is there a way to find a support group that's more compatible with my symptoms? I would recommend trying different um, support groups. So um, particularly like at, at our center, we have a coffee talk, which is anybody who's dealing with um, Parkinson's. It could be the care partner, it could be um, the patient, it could be a, an adult child. Um, that group may have more people dealing with um, particular things. We also have a women's group just for the gals and we have a men's group. Um, so I, I know that other, um, hopefully you have choices in your community and i think it is important to um find some place where you feel comfortable don't give up keep trying 
Okay, great, thank you. Um, so here's a question for Joanne. Um, what are some care options if I really want to keep my spouse at home? And now you, you mentioned a lot of um, Arizona specific resources. We have a comment in the comment box. If you could maybe make us some statements that may be more applicable or applicable to people that don't live in Arizona. Sure, yeah, so um, let me see. So definitely, you know, I, I know that a lot of the private private duty resources where you pay for care, a lot of those companies that exist here in Arizona, they are franchises. And so they exist throughout the United States. So if you did a Google search for private duty, that would be the, the appropriate term for searching for a caregiver agency. Now, if finances is an issue, um, you know, I would certainly look to your your state, their Medicaid site. And so every state, um, so for instance, um, Arizona is the all text and access system. So in your state, the Medicaid system would have probably definitely would have a different acronym. Um, so if you searched your state's Medicaid site to see if they had a long term care um, option available. Um, some people do have long-term care benefits. And so you've paid into this program, you know, it's time to use it. Um, and uh, other options would include, like, let's say your loved one only, um, not only, sorry, not to minimize, but if they just need, you know, somebody to come in and sit with them, and maybe they, you know, they, they just need somebody there to, um, you know, be of different companies. There are definitely um, volunteer agencies available. And so I would also search for your state because like here we have the area agency on aging. And so there are different versions of that throughout different states. So um, search like a senior, senior, senior agencies or um, what the different state might call them. But um, certainly getting plugged into that could lead to a multitude of additional resources available volunteer wise. Great, thank you. Um, so we have a question, a couple questions um, for Annette. Um, so could you um, maybe just review for our audience uh, the uh, a discussion of the, where you work, where that is, and are there branches in other places? And if you don't have access to your specific uh, center, how do you get a similar center in some other part of the country? So a similar question to you that was posed about um, the uh, financial resources to Joanne, a similar question to you. How, how do we make this more applicable to people outside of Arizona? Well, I think uh, my end slide is, uh, I tried to sum it up. Um, there are not a lot of centers like this. We are lucky, lucky to have in Gilbert, uh, we have a sister facility in Sun City that does much the same things. But we've had people uh, nationally come and look at our center to see um, what it looks like. I think really um, what needs to happen is that um, you, you as individuals, as care partners, need to uh, let APDA know. I know they've given us a lot of help um, and um, to, that, that this needs to be the form of care because it really does offer the best quality of life for both the patient, the person with Parkinson's disease and the family. So advocate in your community, tell your neurologists, get the word out there. Okay, excellent. And uh, and just to, to add to that, um, certainly um, 
your your centers is is very unique, uh, but there are other movement disorder centers around the country you can access. Um, most major cities will have one, and you can start there. Not necessarily as robust as your offerings, but certainly ha has a lot of other resources in other parts of the country. Um, so thanks everyone for putting those um, uh, comments into the chat. Um, so we have a, a, a medical question here that, that I'll tackle, which is, uh, what is your feeling on CBD use for Parkinson's disease? Um, CBD is a chemical that is um, purified from the marijuana plant, and it is used uh, for a whole bunch of medicinal purposes and is one of the elements along with, with another compound called THC to be the two compounds that are called medical marijuana. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion and uh, some research into whether CBD and THC, which are these uh, components of medical marijuana, and their help in Parkinson's disease symptoms. And so just to just off the bat, uh, the, uh, chemicals that are uh, purified from plants are often used as drugs in various contexts. That part of it is not unique, but there is a sort of politicizing of these particular uh, compounds for a whole bunch of reasons. And so trying to separate that uh, politicization of, of these chemicals has can be tricky. And so really what we need is data. We need data. Does this chemical help Parkinson's and what symptom of Parkinson's does it help? And that data is, is hard to come by, um, but there have been some clinical trials and hopefully some clinical trials that are ongoing right now to try to see if this chemical helps the tremor of Parkinson's, for example, or insomnia in Parkinson's, or a dystonia or twisting feeling in Parkinson's. And we really need that data to be able to, just like any symptom and any compound, we need that data to be able to justify its use and to recommend its use, really. Um, and so uh, right now we have just anecdotal data. Somebody goes to their medical marijuana facility, they try it, and they tell us whether it helps or not. And that kind of data can be useful, but uh, to really be impactful, you need a properly done clinical trial. So as that data comes in, we can have a better understanding of how to use these chemicals and these medications for, for Parkinson's disease. And I hope that uh, that helps to address the questions. Um, uh, we have a um, another question that may be helpful uh, for um, Annette to, to answer. Um, I have a difficulty getting out of my house. I can't drive um, and I don't have anyone to drive me. Is it okay if I do physical or occupational therapy in my home as opposed to going to a facility to get that uh, therapy? How do you balance those two things? Absolutely. If you can get therapy in your home, um, do it. Um, I think that one of the things that you might want to ask the physical therapist or the occupational therapist is that if they have experience working with somebody, somebody with Parkinson's disease, not all of them do. So if you can get the proper person, um, when you're calling the organization, ask specifically for a therapist that is familiar with Parkinson's and um, definitely get that therapy in your home. Um, here's a question for Joanne, maybe Annette as well. I've heard the term palliative care. What does that mean? And uh, do I need it? And how do I get it? 
Um, that, you know, that's a really good question too. And, and, you know, and I failed to touch on that because that's definitely something that I talked to a lot about as well. Um, palliative versus hospice care. Um, and, and so, and I know that through the Parkinson's foundation, there is an initiative to be able to provide palliative care through the centers of excellence, um, facility. So like ours here at the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center, that is what we are going to be striving to do. Um, so in, to, as far as accessing it, I know that that is something that we will be implementing here through our center. Um, and, and then as well as other centers of excellences out in the um, nationwide. But um, palliative care typically, and, and I know, so and I know this is specific to Arizona, so I'm not sure about other hospice agencies as I have uh, looked at a, another state, um, I believe it was New Mexico, and their version of hospice slash palliative care is different from Arizona. So definitely asking to see, you know, what does your palliative care services look like? So for uh, here in Arizona, palliative care is just a, an added layer of protection where you have an additional service provider through an additional agency at no cost to you, um, where a nurse will come to visit. I know that typically a social worker is involved. So accessing it is, is either by self-referral or the physician's office can do a referral for you as well. Um, but it, it is definitely a benefit to take advantage of, and it is very much different than hospice. And it's not a stepping stone to hospice. So I know that that's a very common misconception that like, oh my gosh, once I get on palliative care, that means hospice is next. That means, you know, my loved one is going to pass away soon. So and no, that's not it at all. I mean, get, getting as much additional help that you can, particularly if it's a, it's a something that's a benefit to you through your Medicare, taking advantage of it, it would be very beneficial. Fantastic. Um, amazingly, we have reached uh, the end of our hour together. Um, and so we have to uh, not answer so many of your excellent questions. And I really apologize to all our uh, participants who've submitted questions and we can't get to them. And I, I do apologize. But I want to thank you very much, Joanne and Annette, for joining us today. And I really want to thank everyone for participating in today's telephone and web education programs. If you have a, a question that has not been answered, you can speak with somebody at APDA's Scientific and Medical Affairs Department by either visiting our website, apdaparkinson.org, and submitting a question there, or calling 1-800-223-2732, and we can answer your question that way as well. If you enjoyed today's webinar, you, we hope you consider supporting APDA with a donation, because with your help, APDA can deliver more programs and services like this one, which are needed now more than ever during these very challenging times. And I want to remind you to check out APDA's Symptom Tracker app, which is an app that helps you or your loved one track their symptoms. The Symptom Tracker is available in English and Spanish and can be downloaded from the Apple Store or Google Play. I also want to emphasize to everyone on the phone that we really do appreciate your feedback and comments. I want to make sure that you complete the program evaluation form. To join us in this fight against Parkinson's and to learn more about the support APDA provides across the country through our network of chapters and information on referral centers, as well as our national research grant program and centers for advanced research, please visit us at apdaparkinson.org. 
We all agree that being informed about your disease and treatment options is the best way to empower yourself and to take control of your care. Have a wonderful day.